Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the official Dungeons & Dragons podcast. This is your host, Bart Carroll, along with Shelley Mazanoble and Trevor Kidd and Nathan Stewart. In today's episode, we'll speak with acclaimed fantasy author R.A. Salvatore, as well as N Space's Dan Tudge. First up, Bloody War rages across the Forgotten Realms world in the third book of the Companions Codex, the latest series in R.A. Salvatore's best-selling saga of Dark Elf Dritz Duerden. Vengeance of the Iron Dwarf continues immediately on the heels of Rise of the King, with an expanding war and greater danger to the finally reunited Companions of the Hall. Hi, Bob! Welcome. Hi, Shelley. <laughs> Welcome to Seattle, Wizards of the Coast. Yep. Very pleased to have you in the office today and totally hijacked you from very important meetings, I'm sure, to come talk to us. They're incredibly important. We kind of rescued you, didn't we? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. When I came in here, it was Chris Perkins and Bob, so that couldn't have been too bad, right? So. Yeah. You never know. Okay. <laughs> but you've come to Seattle for the sunshine and blue sky and 60 degrees. It's kind of amazing, isn't it? Yes, it is. And to make fun of our football team. Oh, I have not done that. Bob is from I have not done New England, that. in case you didn't know. but He's a very nice guy. I haven't you heard have, him say anything about You actually about have been very gracious. Even on Facebook, you were very, very kind. I love sports, but I'm not invested in them the way some people are. <laughs> well, Super Bowl being my birthday... Yes, and I, I wished you ever. an almost <laughs> I wished you an almost happy birthday. Yes, I, I know. did. Yeah, I said I hope you get everything but everything but, but. one thing. <laughs> I said yeah. I hoped you almost win. It was <laughs> you almost it, won. It, yeah, there we go. And it was it was a really fun party until the very very end, and it was this, this mass exodus from my <laughs> home. Everybody just got up and left. But anyway, we are still very glad that you're here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish we could talk about what you're doing here, but. We can't. It's super secret. Super secret, cool stuff. When are they gonna tell me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm in the dark too. Yeah, I, I've been working away at my desk all day. It's like it's the first time I've seen Bob. So I'm, I'm sure. Like, I'm stuff. sure you'll gleam something from your three days here. I hope so. We well, just wanted to just come out and see the sun. on your brains. Yeah. Yes. It's like, hey, stop being frozen. Come out. Come out to Washington of all places and experience the sun. A little vitamin D. Mm. It's good for you. So, but incidentally, wasn't it? The snow is probably, it's terrible, and I'm sure you're sick of it, but doesn't it have some sentimental value for you? Because wasn't it a snowstorm that turned you into a writer? It is. that, that I've actually said this a few times. It's, it's funny because it was the great blizzard of 78, right? And I was in college, <laughs> and my sister had given me the, the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings for Christmas. I've told the story a million times, and when the blizzard hit, we were trapped. I mean, you couldn't leave your house. And so I had a week of just being stuck in the house. And this was before video games, before the internet, before any of that. So I read, which I hadn't done in years, and it was The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings turned me into a writer. It changed my life. But what I find amazing now is the Blizzard of 78, because they've been, of course, they've been, like, replaying it because of oh, the 40th anniversary, uh, the 43rd, 40, I don't know, whatever anniversary of it. They always do it every year, and they, they replay it. We got something like 27 inches of snow out where I was. Um, the storm we got this year in January was three feet. So we have blown it away. It, it's, it's unreal. Thank, you know, thank God you have better forecasting and better car tires and better snow removal equipment or there would be a massive disaster. There already is, but there would be an even yeah. worse disaster all across New England right now. It is unprecedented. We've, we've never seen anything like this. We're also going to see a surge of writers come out of this. Apparently. I was just thinking like, that. I wonder yeah. if we'll a whole bunch get of any Bostonian more. writers. No, you'll find some probably really good League of Legends or StarCraft <laughs> players. It's <laughs> a different era. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Video game designers. So you have uh, your next book is coming up um, March, early March, March third. Yep. Vengeance of the Iron Dwarf. Yep. It's the Companions Codex Book Three. That's what they tell me. That's what they tell you. <laughs> we have a copy of it right here in our hot little hands. Very exciting. So without spoiling too much, what can you tell us about this book? It's about dwarves. <laughs> there no is definitely an way. iron dwarf in this book. Yeah. Is he it angry? Is the, it is the... It, you know, we go back to this whole... It's the third book in this trilogy. It's the second book in this quartet. 
they're all one. It's all one story to me, where I just keep following. I mean, that's why I had to look at the book before I sat down here because I'm not sure where this one ended and the Archmage, Archmage picks up in September, or where Rise of the King ended. Right. And and you know, so you try and figure out which part of the story this is, and um, but in this one, it's really the the bigger purposes of 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 the events of the last three books become clear, and the. the you know, stuff gets real. I mean, it's 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 time to have a winner in the war that's going on, for one thing. And the consequences of that winner will lead to the next book and what's going on. Oh. So it's it's um it's a battle heavy, um wild ride. Probably I had so many loose ends to tie up <laughs> in that in the war and mm -hmm. they all get tied up. How do you keep track of everything? I don't know. <laughs> you have there's so many storylines weaving in and out and it it's not that bad because I'm I keep track of things because I'm following characters and so as long as I pay attention to what my friends are telling me my friends being the characters in okay. the books right my invisible friends are telling me <laughs> as long as I pay them. attention cool. to what they're telling me I, I kind of know where they are in time space and where they've come from and when I when I approach writing more along the lines of sitting down and listening to these characters, it, those kind of things stay. And I mean, there, there are times I forgot, I forget things. I mean, it happens. Mm -hmm. um, but generally speaking, I know where I'm at in the process going forward. It's hard for me to look back. Like now this book's coming out. I'm already working on the book after the book after this. So it's hard for me to remember where one ends and the next one begins. Yeah. Yeah. But going forward, I know where I am in time space. I know I know what what the conflicts are still out there and resolutions are still waiting to be had. So speaking about going forward, how much of your story do you know before you sit down to write it? Do, do you have it, most of it figured out? Or I do you... think I do, but then I don't. Yeah, so you end up writing. Again, it's following the characters. So they surprise me all the time. That's the fun of it. When I'm writing a book, it's like the way other people read books. And sometimes I'll have to just keep writing because I gotta know what happened in, in this fight or whatever. Do you ever listen to your characters and then go, "No, this is a terrible idea"? It's kind of like having children. Yeah, if you yeah. see them go off and make mistakes, it's like that, and you it's like have that to... commercial about, "Well, we get in the running car. No, let's hide behind the chainsaws." Yeah. Oh, no! yeah. <laughs> yes. uh, yeah, no, absolutely. And it's it's you see you see the mistakes that the characters make, and and it's really hard for me sometimes because like. I'll come up on the next section of a book and I gotta write the next Dritz essay. And the Dritz essay is very personal to me. But I have to always remember when I'm writing them that I'm writing them from his perspective. Mm -hmm. And so if he's really messing up, that essay has to be stilted too. And it's hard for me to write that. Yeah. Because you kind of feel like I don't It's know. not my journal, it's his. Right. And it's hard. Um, but yeah, you you see it all the time and, and of course you always want your characters to do the right thing. But that would be really boring. Yeah. So they right. have to mess up. Yeah. And there's a fine line between you have to have a, a character that makes mistakes and is flawed but is still likable. And I think that's a tough balance to strike. But you you, you do it. You do it so well. So how how, how do you do this? I'm one of the I, – I like to see everything in the world from a historian's perspective. So – all the current events around me, I'm always looking at things as how are they going to look 50 years from now when people look back on this. And, and I have a I have a, an ability to kind of step away from my emotions when I'm looking at things like that, um, whether it's, you know, in response to a terrorist attack or whatever, and, and look at what, how, why did this happen? Not just that it happened. Um, why? What, what brought someone to that? level of hatred and craziness and stupidity and barbarianism or whatever, barbarity. Um, and I always do that. I'm always looking at why. Why does the kid pick on the other kid at school? Mm -hmm. So at the same time, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling for the kid who's being picked on. That was me <laughs> in school. Um, at the same time, I understand that. It's, it's what would lead this other person to want to do that in the first place. And when I do that, it allows me to have villains that aren't there's nothing like two dimensional or cut out of the bottom. They're they're in my mind anyway. They're real people, and I'm trying to look. So while I'm writing a character like Jarl Axel or Adamus Centurion or whatever, 
or Tiago. I'm trying to find their motivation. Why are they acting the way they're, they're acting? Not just what are they doing. Why? Mm-hmm. I think it makes – that's what makes me get all kinds of letters from people who want to see Adamus and Trey redeemed, you know, instead of just killed. Yeah. yeah. I don't see him redeemed or killed. Let's keep being you, Artemis. It's fine. <laughs> keep being you. <laughs> He's the head of the Paladins Guild in the next book. And <laughs> oh, <Wow>. a spoiler. Spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> that was my dumbfounded look for a moment, everybody. You can't uh-huh. hear those looks. <laughs> That's what it sounded like. Uh-huh. Yeah. Scooby Doo. So They're more like the horse in Animal House. <laughs> yeah, he knows. <laughs> Rastro? Oh. That's the Jetsons, anyone? You don't know the horse in. Animal House. I saw that a million years ago. I couldn't. So watch it every year. Every year. All right. Uh, Wow. Sorry, it's all about (laughs) Elmo now. Wow. It's all best true. Um. So the collaboration with Wizards of the Coast, like while you're while you're here, but also when you're working on your novels, what is it? What is it like? You submit an outline. You say this is what's happening in in my corner of the world, and then other authors say. Here's what's happening in my world, and then sometimes your stories intervene. Or I think that's at one level, yeah. But really, what I what I want to see out here is when I come out here and we're talking about what I'm doing next or the book I'm working on now. What I want to see is as they're telling me kind of the theme story that they're creating for the world um, for the next year or whatever. What what happens is all these possibilities open up to me um, when I hear. Like when I go back into the Underdark and I hear about the stuff that's going on in the Underdark and I learn a little like what, what another author is doing because of the ramifications of what's going on down there with characters. Um, it allows me that I can either ignore it if it's going to interfere with my story or I can find something in there to enrich my story. And I guess the perfect example I'll, I'll give of that is when I was writing – uh, Streams of Silver, right at the very beginning of the realms. It's the, that was like the fourth book in the realms or whatever. Back in 1988, I was writing it. And I had to go from the Sword Coast all the way inland to Mithril Hall. And travelogues can be really boring. Okay, I mean, filling up a travelogue, when you, that's why a lot of people put people on boats to go from point A to point B. Because then you know nothing's going to happen unless there's a pirate <laughs> fight or something or a, or a shark. I think you've done that. And the so fight. you've done yeah. that one. I've done lots of those. <laughs> and so to go from point A to point B, you you either teleport them or you put them on a boat because a travel story can slow down the pace of a book tr- dramatically. So I'm I'm reading the box set, and in the box set I see the description of the town of Longsaddle, and all it says is that it's ruled by a family of eccentric wizards called the the Harples who who live on the hill in the Ivy Mansion or something like that. And from that, that what would have been a nondescript little stop through in a, in a nondescript little town becomes this grand part of the adventure and what I'm writing because of what Ed did and Jeff Grubb, I think, was the one that worked with him and to put that in the gray box set way back when. So when you come out to a meeting like this and you're sitting in a room with people like Chris Perkins and and Adam, and, and, Ed, and when Ed Greenwood and Troy come out on those occasions, and Aaron, and you're in the room with other creative people, and me and Rich Baker used to be really good at, like, screaming at each other across the table, like, <laughs> one-upping each other until we got to the... But it was, it was, always, it was always great. The, when the creative energy starts flowing, and people are coming up with other concepts, and, and, and like, Chris Perkins will give you an overview of, of what he, you know, the feeling he wants to get from this conflict in this area. And he gives you some analogies. And then the light bulbs start going on in your own head. And so you start shooting back with specifics. And he'll come back at you with specifics. And by the time you're done, when you, you like on the plane ride home, I'll do more work in those six hours than I would do in any other six-hour period when I'm writing. Because you leave here completely inspired by the creativity that's all around you. Yeah. And that's how that's how game companies work. That's how computer game companies work. And when they stop working like that, it's when they fall apart. Yeah. So when you first started writing about Dritz, did you know like what like twenty some years later people were still going to be falling in love with this character? They'd still be reading him, you would still be writing him. What was your goal with this character? I can't think of any I can't think of anything in 
that's that's remotely like this. Yeah. This has been a journey that's beyond belief that we're 27 years and 30 plus books and it, no, I, I mean, I wanted to get published. I, I just wanted to be a published author. I was working in finance, and I got the opportunity to publish a book. I had written a book already, a book called Echoes of the Fourth Magic. And I sent it out in like 1983, and I got all kinds of rejection letters. And so I just kept working to rewrite the book while I was building my career. Else, Because writing is always plan B. You know, the people write to me all the time. My kid wants to be a writer. He's in college. What should he take? I say, engineering. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Yeah. You, you pay your bills, and then you can pursue writing on the side. If you think it's going to, you're going to come out and be a writer and make money, you're, you're crazy because that's just not the way it works, and it never has been the way it works. So while I was doing that, I, I, I finished up this book. I sent it in, and when I got the call from Mary Kirchhoff way back when and and the early part of, like, the spring, early spring of 1987. And she said, um, you know, I have good news and bad news. Um, and the good news is that I really like your book. And this was Echoes of the Fourth Magic. The bad news is I have no, no way to put it. It seems like every conversation I had with Mary that year was started with I have good news and bad news. <laughs> um, and then she said, um, you know, I have no way to put this book because we, we only have room on our schedule for Forgotten Realms books. So can you, you know, you think we can set this in the realms or can you write a Forgotten Realms book? And I said, what are the Forgotten Realms? They weren't out yet. Yeah. You can't blame me. There was no internet, so there was no buzz about it. Yeah. They weren't out yet. So to me, it was, no, I mean, I, I had the opportunity to be published. And I had an agent at the time who told me don't do it because <laughs> it was work for hire mm -hmm. and it was a really low advance and a really low royalty rate. And all the rest, oh, you can do better, you can do better. And I'm like, do better. I'm working finance at a high-tech company. I could be a published author. And so we had a big fight, and I did the book. But I had no idea. I mean, Dritz wasn't even in the first draft of the book. <laughs> Not the first draft, but the sample chapter. I always love this oh, wow. story. I've heard yeah. it a few times, and I'm still like surprised every time. We should talk about that, because they may not know where this all came from. Well, when they said, can you set your book in the Forgotten Realms, Mary and I talked about it a little bit, and she explained to me what the Forgotten Realms were. And the book I had written starts in our world and goes to like this future fantasy world. So it wouldn't have worked because the Forgotten Realms aren't related. It's, mm -hmm. Forgotten Realms are a one-world fantasy. This is the world. Mm -hmm. My book was a two-world fantasy, our world and the fantasy world. So th there was no way I was going to be able to rewrite that book and make it fit in the realms. And so I, she wanted me to audition to do the second Forgotten Realms book and sent me all the printed material that they had for the realms, which meant that she sent me Doug Niles' Darkwalker on Moonshay. And if you look at the first printing of Darkwalker on Moonshay, it takes place in the Moonshay Isles. Mm -hmm. You see these islands, and that's all you see, these islands, and they're small. Mm -hmm. And his characters are bigger than life. They, they run the place. Mm -hmm. They are the kings and queens of the Moonshays, and the, 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 like the queen druid of the Moonshay Islands and everything. And so I thought they were trying to do like the Dragonlance thing again with this one cast of characters. Mm -hmm. and I didn't really want to write somebody else's characters, so I used one of Doug's characters to introduce Wolfgar, who was the hero of my book, which was at that time called The Tyrant of Icewind Dale. That was the name of the, the working name of the book. And so I used Dareth the Calumshite and Wolfgar and Canthus the Moorhound, who was Dareth's dog, mm -hmm. went into a lair of Verbeeg or Furbolgs. In Doug's book, there were Furbolgs. A giants, and it was called Big Grin's Lair. That was the sample chapter I wrote. And then when I was, I, I, Mary's like, well, Bob, you know, we don't want, we don't want you to use Doug's characters, and we don't want you to, Doug's going to write his own sequel. And I'm like, well, you know, how do I do that? And she said, well, we don't want you on the Moonshade Isles. And I looked at the map in the book, and I'm like, do you want me in the water? I mean, that's, <laughs> there's nowhere else. But then they sent me the realms, and I realized the Moonshade Isles are these tiny little islands next to this vast continent, right? And, and so when we reset the book, I was sitting at work one day, and Mary called, and she said, um, we got a problem. And I'm like, why? And she said, well, you can't use Dareth. I said, it's not a problem. I don't want to use Doug's characters. I want, you know, I want to create my own. Let Doug use it. Great. She said, yeah, but you're 3,000 miles away. Dareth can't be in your book. And I'm like, so? She said, well, your chapter is Wolfgar and Dareth. And I said, well, I'll change it. And she said, well, I need a six. I have to go into a, I have to go to a marketing meeting and sell the book to the marketing team. And this is really important for a book. I have to get them excited about it. And I can't use Dareth, so I need a sidekick for Wolfgar. Oh. 
And so I said, I'll call you back in about a week. You know, give me some time, and I'll come back. She goes, No, I, you don't see that. I have to go to a marketing meeting. So I looked at my clock, and I was in, I was at month end closing, so I was huge, you know, completely buried in work. And I looked at the clock, and I said, All right, I won't take lunch. I'll call you right after lunch, and come up with something for you. She goes, you, you don't understand. I'm standing across the room from a meeting. I'm late for the meeting. And they're all looking at me. And I have to go to a marketing meeting. And I need a sidekick for Wolfgar. And off the top of my head, I said, uh, a black elf. They were called black elves back then. Or dark elves. But I said, a black elf. And she said, the long pause. And she said, a drow. And I'm thinking about it. Now the wheel's starting to spin, right? And I said, <laughs> yeah, a drow. Yeah, a drow. And she's like, a drow. And I'm like, yeah, and then a drow ranger. That'll be cool. A drow ranger. And she said, a, dr- a drow ranger, Bob. I'm like, yeah, that'd be cool. No one's done that before. Well, there's probably a reason, Bob. <laughs> you know, and, and, we went, and she said, what's his name? And off the top of my head, I said, Dritz the Warden of Damon the Shesburn on the Ninth House of Menzo Baranzan. No. She's, it's a true story. That just came right out. Ask Mary. It came right out. And she said, what? And I said, I have no idea. <laughs> she said, can you spell it? I said, no. Nope. Can anyone? <laughs> what is it? I said, well, Menzo Baranzan must be a city or something. And that's how it happened. And he was, and, she, and her answer to me was, well, since he's supposed to be a psychic character, I'll let you get away with it. Yes. And I started writing the book, and the first scene I wrote after that was Dritz running across the tundra, getting jumped by some yetis, and Bruner saves him. And like on page two, I knew it was his book. It wasn't Wolfgar's. It was his book. And there was just a connection between me and this character that made sense to me. I don't know why. I don't know how. Um, it just happened. And that was, you know, 27 years ago. Is he based on any anyone? Parts of you? Parts I think he's become who I wish I had the courage to be. Um, the things that matter to him matter to me. And they're things I see less and less around me. Because I get tired of the movies like Total Recall where, you know, the guys are shooting at Arnold on the escalator so he just grabs an innocent bystander and uses him as a shield. A hero wouldn't do that. A hero would protect the innocent people around them first mm-hmm. and foremost. And I get, I get tired of a culture where the hero is the guy with the biggest gun. I always thought the hero was the guy with the biggest heart. And that's why I've tried to make Dritz all these years. And, and it just, you know, I think it really started getting serious between me and him after the Halfling's Gem when I came back to do Homeland in the Dark Elf trilogy because that's when I started doing the, in the original editions of the Icewind Dale books, there were no Dritz essays. Those were put in for the collector's edition when, oh, the, yeah. when it was bound together in, a, in, a, in an omnibus edition. And when I started doing those essays in Homeland with Dritz, I think that's when it got real to me about the character. And he resonated, and, and you know, I'm, I'm glad it happened. And, and I mean, you can't believe the mail I've been getting for 27 years. It's, it's pretty incredible stuff how he's become such a friend to so many people. And, and it's just a cool thing. Yeah, I can, when, when you do signings and I get to, be at them sometimes. I love listening to what people say to you about how your books have impacted their lives and changed their lives and Dritz has become such a, a hero to them. It's it's amazing. It's funny when I get those emails because it's to me it's not real. It's like it's almost like they're talking to someone else. You know? Yeah. It's hard for me to believe. Yeah. Um, Somebody's discovering Dritz right now. I was lucky enough to start, well, for me, it was lucky to, to start the series after, uh, well, all of after Homeland had come out. So I actually, I didn't even know that the Icewind Dell stuff was written beforehand until I got to it. And I was, it was like years later, and someone was like, you know, it was written first. I was like, oh, I guess I can see that, but why would you ever read it that way now? <laughs> like, I can There's start at the beginning. Fight. Every, time I, every time somebody asks me this on a Reddit or something, a, a fight ensues where yeah. half the people say start with Homeland, the other half yeah. say start with Crystal Shard. What do you say? Start with any of them. Makes me happy. <laughs> yeah, there you go. If just you like, start. Yeah, just, just pick a book. <laughs> the one thing about the Dritz series, I think that it's been part of its its longevity, is the fact that I think, almost without exception, you can pick up any book and get a beginning, a middle, and an end. It, it's more like a television series, I think, than... And, and I don't think, like... In any book in the series, I can't think of one you couldn't pick up and enjoy if you're going to enjoy them anyway. Um, you know, that wouldn't give you a beginning and a middle. And I remember when The Thousand Orcs came out, we had that Todd Lockwood cover on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was right when the Lord of the Rings movies were coming out, and it had orcs in the title. So I picked up a ton of readers with that book. 
and they came in without missing a beat. And that made me feel very good because yeah. I've always tried to write it more like James Bond or Sherlock Holmes than like what George is, George Martin's trying to do with A Song of Ice and Fire or Robert Jordan's series where because I could have never maintained it for this long if if the storylines were that woven tightly together like in uh, Wheel of Time or Song of Ice and Fire. It's a different type of series. It's a serial. I'm writing a TV series. Every year I write the new season. That's that's the way I look at it. Yeah, that's cool. We should probably get to some of our questions from Twitter because we've okay. got a whole bunch of people on Twitter who wanted to ask you a whole lot of questions. Twitter. This was <laughs> one of my favorites. Somebody asked, if you had to be one of your characters for a week, who would you be? Oh, boy. Bruner is the king. <laughs> <laughs> I am the king. He probably has it the easiest, quote, yeah. unquote. Although Driss has got Kathy Bree, and she's based on my wife, so that's kind of cool. Is she? She's based on Diane? Well, her, she was named after her daughter, but yeah. yeah. Most of my female characters are based on Diane. Good. Good for Diane. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. It's like yeah. most, of the, most of the good, interesting, kind ones. Yes. That's why I got to give her half the royalties. <laughs> <laughs> well, I approve as someone who loves Diane very much. Um, how do you avoid stale character development so that when we see characters, they surprise us and keep us excited? I don't. Okay. <laughs> we just go with it. It's old and boring. <laughs> <laughs> they surprise me all the time. And, th and I think it's because... These these characters are so real to me. I'm envisioning their lives almost as I live my own. And and people change all the time. Everybody is different than they were two, three years ago. It's, it's an amazing journey that we're on, all of us. And the characters deserve no less of a journey. So to me, it's um, the core doesn't change all that much, even for the bad guys. I mean, even for Entreri, who has become not so much a bad guy in recent time, his core is still the same. He's still the same guy. If the situation called for it, he'd still be a ruthless killer if he had to be. But when you know the motivation from the beginning, you understand why he was the way he was. And, that, and I'm not going to the superficial stuff like he was abused as a child, which isn't really superficial and is actually a part of his journey. But when you get to the, the actual the emotional makeup of the character – and why they act the way they do. And you, you actually understand that, almost the way you understand yourself. It's like a, it's like a bit of self-reflection on an aspect of your own personality, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. When you get to that level, you can let the characters evolve without changing who they are. Because people don't really change. I mean, you might see an outlook of a person change, but the core behind that outlook is the same. You know, I think, I think a lot of people get on Facebook, right, And for the first time. And they get on Facebook or some other social media, and they, they reconnect with people from high school. And they're shocked at who this person has become. But mm -hmm. if you sit back and think about it, it's the same person. They've just got different stimulus that are, stimuli that are working upon them, eliciting different types of responses that you would have never seen in high school. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They're in a totally different environment. High school is a very specific Cauldron of crazy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Nobody's really trying to not be the same as everybody. Just standing well, out is not a good thing. Yeah. Some oh, of us couldn't really cool. help it. <laughs> <laughs> I have to ask this one. It's a little bit tongue-in-cheek, tongue but I, I kind of find it funny because I play a lot of games. So how do you feel about the several million two-sorted Drow Ranger <laughs> PCs with tragic backstories that you've inspired? I actually apologized to that guy on Twitter because I saw that one. Um, it is hilarious to me to find out that some of the people who have tormented me the most on the internet over the years are people who never even read the books and just hated me because people showed up at their gaming table wanting to be dritzed. Oh. And <laughs> I want to be play a dark elf ranger with two swords but it's and not a dritzed. panther companion. But it's not true. But his name is Blist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like when I saw the... Uh, the Founders Pack for Neverwinter and the Drow Ranger comes running up with his green cloak and the Black Panther runs <laughs> yeah. up beside But it's not Tritz. Yeah. Or when, um, you know, DDO's giving away the Onyx figurine of a panther, but it's not Guinevere. No, um, I always get a kick out of that stuff. But how do I feel about it flattered? I mean, I think Dritz touched a lot of people because if Dritz tells you something, you can trust he's telling you the truth. Um, you can trust that his word matters to him. And, you know, I, I actually had – it's funny because I just had a fight with – an argument with somebody and it was very disappointing to me because 
we were talking about this whole like thing that blew up before the Super Bowl with the Patriots, with the Flategate, right? Which is uh, it's probably the stupidest thing I've ever talked about. But when this whole thing blew up, uh, my my opinion was when we first we were talking about it, and I'm like, if the balls were a little bit underinflated or a little overinflated, I mean, Aaron Rodgers admitted the overinflated. That kind of stuff is that's meaningless. I mean, you know, the, the receivers wear sticky gloves. It's that yeah. kind of stuff is meaningless to me. But then Belichick and Brady both got up and categorically denied it. Mm-hmm. And I said to the guy, I said, if if it's found out that they actually deflated the footballs, I can never be a Patriots fan again. Yeah. And I think both of them should be banned for life. Not because of the maybe they inf- deflated the footballs a little bit, but because they stood up in front of a national television audience and lied, if that's the case. Now, I don't believe for a minute they were lying, either one of them. I always take a person at their word until, until that person proves me wrong. But the guy didn't get it. He goes, I'll just laugh. Everybody lies. And I'm like, but then what's the point? Yeah. Right. But then what's the point? If everybody lies, if, if honor means nothing, if your word means nothing, then what, what are we all playing this stupid game for to begin with? And that's Dritz. Mm-hmm. That's who he is. You, you do what's right because you do what's right. That's because if everybody did what right, what's right, everybody would be better off. And the cynicism that, that pervades every aspect of our being now really bothers me a lot. And I think it bothers a lot of people, and I think I use proof Dritz. He's a, he's a bastion of good 99.9% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm yeah. a fan. We have a couple more here. Do we have time? We can, well, there's always time for Bob. There's always yeah. time for Bob. You want to go for one? Um, well, we, you, you kind of touched on this already, but um, in Dritt's journal, his journal entries, how much of what is written is you and not him? And you did kind of touch on yeah. finding that. Do not out. ever, I, I think, do not ever make the mistake that you can read an author's characters and think you know the author because a good author can give you many different characters with many different motivations and many different outlooks on life. Um, having said that, um, all of my heroes in, in the books I write resemble each other morally and ethically. And, and it's, like I said, it's who I wish I had the courage to be mm-hmm. it's, um, because I think it matters. I think it matters. And um, so, but when I'm writing the journal entries, I always have to keep in mind that he can't always be right in what he thinks is right. And he makes mistakes, huge mistakes. And if he didn't, then he's a boring paladin in the game, right? (laughs) And that's not who he is. He's a a very flawed human being who happens to be a dark elf. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know that that's, that wasn't a slip of the tongue, by the way. One of the things you have to do when you write fantasies, you might be writing elves and dwarves and halflings, but they have to be human. The people have to relate to them on a very human level, or it doesn't work. The whole thing falls apart. So he's a very flawed person, nowhere near perfect, but he tries to be. He tries to do better. He tries to do what's right. Um, I hope I'm like that. I'm not always like that because I make mistakes and. Sometimes I take the shortcuts and like everybody else in the world, but you know that I think that matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so here's an easier one. What else you're working on? Besides all, you this, have time. besides all this you awesome drift stuff. Well, I had a Kickstarter running that that isn't going to get there, so I'm not working on that. No. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm going to be working on some more Demon Wars books as well. Uh, I'm continuing with the Dark Elf stuff, obviously. Um, with the Archmage coming out this year, and and um, the I'll be I'll be doing I don't know I, I I'm I'm feeling that I'm nearing a big change in my life, and and I'm welcoming it at this point. Um, I've been asked to teach at, oh, nice. a, at, a, at my alma mater, That's and cool. and I think so I'd good. be pretty good at it. Yeah, and it's too. something I've always wanted to try. And I'm thinking of maybe doing some writers workshops with one of my, my the guy that handles my foreign sales on the books I own. He does these writers' workshops all over the country, and I have friends who actually go to the workshops and say, "You really should come and teach at these workshops." <laughs> and I, you know, maybe do a little bit of that. And um, this, and I really want to get to the point where I'm writing what I want to write when I want to write it, as opposed to being on deadline all the time. And so I don't know. I, I it, it's a weird time for me. It's yeah. a very weird time for me. 
in a good way. Yeah, in a good way. In a very good way. It's you know suddenly you look at you look at your life and your kids are all grown and they're all taking care of themselves and they don't really need you. To so you you get from what do I need to do as a parent and in my career to what do I really want to do? Yeah, and it's a better place. More oh. time with the grandson. I'll get there one day. There's one no day. such you thing know. as too much time with the grandson. There that's we for go. Sure. Oh. So we've got one more. Also another easy one here. So we're going to wrap up soon, and then we're going to send Bob on his way, and he's going to be doing secret, secret stuff for people. But after that, <laughs> when you're back out there in the real world, how can fans reach out to you? They can't. <laughs> stop, touching, stop touching I Bob. I won't everybody. read no. your manuscript. <laughs> Let's, that's send them to Shelly. Send, send all manuscripts to Shelly. I will forward them right to Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Who will call Ed Greenwood and say, Ed, there's a package coming. Well, <laughs> he, would, um, he would probably need, read them. You need yeah. kindling, right? So you got all that snow. You gotta... No, I have gas fireplaces oh, okay, now. We're good. It doesn't work. <laughs> um, no, uh, get me on Facebook. Um, they, I spend way, I spend hours every day now. <laughs> it's, 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 it's becoming kind of... Almost have to cut it back, but I spend <laughs> I spend literally spend two hours a day answering private messages and emails because people. But you can get me on Facebook at Ari Salvatore, and uh, yeah, and be nice people. All right. No, I actually the people aren't nice. That's it's more fun because I can really vent. It's <laughs> all okay. Don't get him started. Okay, I, I can be pretty mean when I want to be <laughs> old and crank. Get off my lawn. <laughs> You're that guy now. I am that guy now. There was one other good question. Go for it. Why are you so awesome? There we go. That was that was <laughs> that was a question that came up. Actually, it was From our friends our, over yeah. at Sword Coast Legends isn't who the, asked that question. Isn't the um, the definitive answer because Bob? There we go. Uh, <laughs> because Bob. That's why we're all awesome. so awesome. You know, that's that's the good thing about being a writer is people don't really know you, so you got them fooled. <laughs> and you can get away with being a little bit crazy. I oh think yeah. People just think writers are a little. But crazy. I'm not. Well, I don't know. So, in order to make a living off writing, be. you're in that you're in that odd percentage of people that doesn't happen that much too. So, your life is probably different than most people. So, I would say you're probably a little crazy. You spend a lot of time probably. alone with characters. Spend two hours on Facebook just replying to people. Normal <laughs> people don't do that, buddy. Oh shit. <laughs> oh, I can't say that, can I? Oh, you can. We're PG. We're fine. Yeah. We're PG. Why'd you tell me that at the beginning? Because I could have cut I loose you. here. No. <laughs> we're not R. We're PG thirteen. All right. That right. Boston will come out. Well, on that right. note, on yep. that note, thank you for joining us, Thanks, Bob. It's Bob. been awesome. It's always, as always good to be here. Always a pleasure. I always come to sunny Seattle in the winter. <laughs> <laughs> we'll More people should. Set in the Forgotten Realms universe, Sword Coast Legends offers an all-new way to enjoy the time-tested excitement of playing Dungeons & Dragons as a shared storytelling experience. To further introduce the game, we wanted to speak with developer and spaces Dan Tudge. Alrighty, Bart. Well, thank you for that lovely intro. Today joining us, we have the director of Sword Coast, Dan Tudge. And also in the little office room with us, we have... Uh, Nathan Stewart, who is my director and bossiness, as also Shelley's. My grand boss. Uh, grand, yeah, he's he's also my grand boss. You're the grand boss. Like Laura's our boss, you're our grand boss. I actually take offense to all of this because uh, <laughs> on the call here, Dan is the only one who's a grandfather. Oh, okay. That is that is true. That is true. He a started, very young grandfather. He got you married when he was young. nine. Seriously, you did you do not look old enough to be a grandfather. Yeah. Oh, ma- go on. He made his first no, he made I his need, first video game when on. he was twelve. <laughs> <laughs> Did they even have video games back then? Oh, come on. (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) All right. Well, Dan, thanks for joining us on the podcast this week. Um, Last week was kind of a big deal for you. Yeah, I don't know. don't know if people were living under a rock, uh, but we announced Sword Coast Legends to the world. Uh, Can you briefly describe what that game might be for those people that were living under that rock? Oh, sure. Absolutely. I mean, um, it was a very big week, very busy. I think I'm still catching up on uh, on the sleep. Um, So Sorcos Legends is, uh, you know, a classic RPG that uh, fits within, you know, the, the, the classic Forgotten Realm titles like Icewind Dale and, uh, and, and the Baldur's Gate series. Uh, we, uh, we've added a twist, though. We're adding um, Dungeon Master mode. So I think this is the first time you can really play um, as a Dungeon Master in real time. So um, it's very, very heavily focused around that, and we're really excited about uh, offering people a way to finally play uh, D&D together as a DM. 
Now, I know we can't talk a ton about Dungeon Master mode, Dan, but I think it's worth pointing out that, you know, uh, two years ago, uh, almost exactly when we sat down and first started talking about this game, you know, your guys' real-time Dungeon Master mode, that's what got me excited. That's what, you know, got us excited. Like, this is going to be an amazing opportunity to partner with you guys because this really does bring to life the spirit of tabletop Dungeons & Dragons like no one's ever done before. So I don't know if there's a question in there, but I just I want to point out that now that we can talk about the game, we don't know what to talk about. If you, if, well, <laughs> we if you can, can tell, we're also big it. goobs about the game. Like we're not, we're not like we're genuinely excited about about being able to play this game. Yeah, I mean, I've been sitting on this for two years, and I'm just so excited you guys are doing it. But I want people to just, you know, when they get their hands on it, they're going to see what I saw, which is, you know, a really uh, amazing and innovative feature uh, within an RPG. So I think you guys are doing a great job. And yeah, that was my fanboy moment. Yeah, and you guys have yeah. been. Yeah. Nathan mentioned it, and I think you were talking about it too. You guys have been working on this for over two years now, right? Yeah, absolutely. We have been working working on this for over two years. Actually, um, um, the the original pitch came from some stuff that Enspace was talking about long, long, long time ago. So we've always had um, this idea in our back pocket, and I think really it sort of gelled uh, uh, when we met Wizards is the right thing to do. The idea of playing, uh, you know, as a as a dungeon master or a game master with with a group of players. I mean, it 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 is D and D at its core, and so for us, it was a natural place for us to go to. Um, but, you know, touching on your point, Nathan, I think the, the really innovative thing here, I think, is there's, there's been other attempts at, uh, at, at a Dungeon Master play. And, and certainly we're sort of seeing this uh, 1v4 thing creeping up a lot. But really, the, the, the interesting thing that, that we're doing here is, you know, unlike the older sort of attempts at DM mode, this has really been catered from the, from the outset to be about real-time play. We're not, we don't need you to sit and script tools for for weeks on end, just for your Friday night session with your friends. You can get in there, jump right in there, and immediately play and have fun. And we really wanted to make it accessible right from the get-go. Uh, and, and that's been really important for us. And the other big difference is, is the fact that, that this is very much cooperative play uh, in this sense. I mean, certainly you can make it adversarial if you want. Uh, I know I've played with a few adversarial DMs in the past. <laughs> um, we, we did like but, last uh, week, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. You know, I, may, I may have actually been one myself, uh, but... Uh, uh, the the truth the truth is is that this is an opportunity that isn't just ne- just purely about that adversarial component. There's really an opportunity for the DM to shape the adventure and really sort of create that really awesome experience that great uh, tabletop DMs have been doing for players for years. You called it one v four. I think the kids now are calling it four v one. But I always talk about your game as four p one for the plus one because the dungeon master really is additive. They're not against you and i mean i've I've played the game you know in its early version more than almost anyone and yeah you really cater how you're playing to what's going on at the table how the or what's going on in the game how the players are reacting right i mean you want it to be additive you want it to be you know you want to make the the story and the entertainment more fun than the computer could make it and that's what you guys have delivered is this you know this this one being a plus one not a versus one absolutely i mean i am uh, I, I play a lot with my on the tabletop with my uh, twin eight-year-old boys, and um, and now I'm playing um, obviously you know DMO with them. That's one of the luxuries of having a dad that makes video games. Um, <laughs> cool. And um, cool. you know, and they do they do need that they do need that um, you know that uh, that DM that helps them along that DM that isn't purely about crushing them right. And and so I'm able to cater the experience for them. Um, you know, like I would on the tabletop. Um, you know, create, create that experience and really sort of give them a, a really enjoyable experience. And that's where a lot of the fun comes for me as a DM is, is seeing, you know, them have a great time playing D&D. So we're talking about DM mode, so I'm just going to stick with it because it's the part that I really wanted to talk about. Uh, so we've talked a little bit about, you know, what it is. It's the real-time DM thing. Uh, you, you mentioned that it you know, doesn't have scripting, so you don't have to sit there for hours and, and, and code all this stuff. What else sets, you know, DM mode apart from, from the experiences people might have had with other games? Well, I think, um, again, that, that real-time interaction is definitely a key piece. Um, we, do, we do have a campaign tools. We're not talking a lot about that right now, but that same ease and accessibility will happen with the campaign tools. Um, so you can build your own homebrew campaigns just like you would in D&D and really do those near, near limitless uh, adventures with, uh, with that DM campaign mode. But, again, we're not talking a whole lot about that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, again, is built entirely around um, you know, ease, accessibility, and, and those real-time tools. 
So there's some other things in DM uh, mode, and I don't want to give it away because, uh, you know, uh, again, I've already showed my, uh, my fan nerd boy side and uh, might spoil things uh, in terms of what you're talking about, Dan. But there's definitely some other parts of the, of the DM that focus on, you know, not the adversarial role, but kind of the, you know, the shared storytelling experience. How much can you talk about uh, that the DM can do? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, storytelling is, is something that's, um, you know, probably one of the most enjoyable bits about being a DM is taking on the role of those characters. So we definitely allow you to do that, um, you know, through, not only through story, but through the, the gameplay itself. You can possess creatures, um, you know, you can promote creatures, uh, move those creatures around. You can create ambushes, um, you know, tactically set up what you want to do. And you can also pull some of those creatures out as well, too, if if, uh, you know, you're having a bit of a tough go, your party's having a bit of a tough go and, and you want to balance things up or, you know, they're running low on 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 the ability to heal and you can you can really sort of cater that experience. Uh, but the shared storytelling is definitely, uh, you know, a feature that, you know, we're going to get into more as we get closer to launch. Um, but that's sort of core to the experience of being a DM and being uh, and playing with others. So we're definitely working uh, to deliver a very um, robust experience there. You touched on one thing that I think is fun as a DM, which is, you know, kind of sometimes taking away the monsters. And I liken it at the table to when the DM rolls a, a D20 behind his screen and you don't see it. And you think that he's plussing up the die when really he made it so the monster missed because he didn't want you to die. And I think as a DM in your game, you kind of have a similar thing when you're like, oh, I don't want these guys to die yet. And you'll, you'll subtract a monster. But it, to the player, it just feels like, you know, he hit him and it was a devastating critical hit, right? I mean, that's, that's one of the fun things is the DM helps you, but in invisible ways. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and demoting is one of those one of those great invisible ways, because not only does the creature still stay there, it doesn't it doesn't disappear, but it becomes easier for them to kill. So if there's a horde of of uh, goblins and, and you want to reduce some of those down to a, a lower level, um, you can do that. And then the, the party will go through and mow them down a lot easier and they'll feel great. They'll feel empowered and they'll, they really won't know what happened, um, which, you know, is, is again, it just really makes for a better experience. And you can smile knowing that you gave them that, that better experience. We're all smiling, actually, when you were saying that. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, it's also DM Appreciation Month, so I think we were smiling yeah. at the, uh, you know, oh, the DMs yes. being awesome. Like, pretty much, pretty yeah. much. It sounds like there's a lot of really cool, easy-to-use tools for, for Dungeon Masters. Is, would you say this is a good introduction to DMing for some people? Oh, I, re I really think so. It's interesting. We've, we've showed a lot of, of, of potential partners over the, over the last six months, year, um, you know, we've had a lot of new people new to games and a lot of people that really aren't even much of video game players. And um, when, when we ask people, hey, it's your guys' turn to play. Would you like to play a Dungeon Master? I was like, no, 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 no. I'll, I'll just play a player. <laughs> I said that too. And, 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 and it's interesting because after like maybe 10 or 15 minutes, they're like, hey, can I, can I play as Dungeon, Dungeon Master? Can I play as Dungeon Master? Um, so I think just seeing how easy it is to use um, – immediately translates to, to people having a good time and doing it. And they, I admit, uh, people usually start off a little bit adversarial. Nathan, cough, Nathan. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Accidentally. Accidentally. It's, it's, one of the, it's one of those interesting things you do. Um, you know, I certainly, when I played, uh, uh, started playing with other people when I first started, it was interesting. You, you get in that video game mindset of, of that sort of uh, – multiplayer um, um, competitive play, but it very quickly turns into, wow, this is different. This is a, this is a shared experience that, that, that is very akin to the table. Um, and I'm not having fun when I'm just, you know, crushing the party. I'm having a lot more fun when they're barely making it through and they're all high-fiving each other. And, 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 you know, all those great things that happen around the table happen in the game. And I don't know, that's for me when I think we really hit the mark is when you see that, that come through. Yeah, the cool thing for me, and it's I've been playing this for a while now. It didn't it didn't dawn on me until this last week when we were playing with you guys, seeing that I'm gonna try not to spoil too much. Seeing that defeating a party member actually doesn't reward the DM; it negatively impacts the DM when it, when a when a party member really? goes down. And I was like, that was pretty cool. I'd never noticed that before looking over the DM's shoulder. So that was a neat thing to see. Yeah, there's 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 systems we put in place there that uh, you know that crushing the party into oblivion, a total party wipe, actually. Um, you know, will be pretty negative to you as a DM. Um, yeah, again, we can't go into a lot of details, but you're not rewarded for doing that. Um, you know, but you you are rewarded for for a player um, or, or a group of players just barely making it through or just um, succeeding an area. But if it's too easy, you're not you're not as rewarded as much either. So there's a real balance that you have to do as a DM to really make it just 
have that perfect uh, entertainment balance, and you're rewarded for making that happen. Yeah, definitely. I'm gonna I'm gonna use this moment to segue to a different set of questions, but I think Nathan's gonna yell at me if I don't let him ask this question. No, no. I was just gonna say that I think it's one <laughs> of the important things, um, you know, in Dungeons and Dragons that the you know the better the dungeon masters get, the you know the closer they can dance to that line, you know, of total party obliteration yep. and AKA have fun and get to the end and everyone high fives. You yeah. know, when you're, when you're first learning you, Oh, whoops, I, I miss, I misjudged, but mm-hmm. that's part of the fun. And I think as you get more time being dungeon master, you know, you're going to tell better and better things or people are going to have great stories that you, you know, killed so-and-so and it's amazing. Yeah, definitely. I, I, it's for me, it's when you get to that final challenge in, in the, the DM mode and you've, you've gotten there and people are harried it's like that's when i can start letting loose it's like okay maybe you don't maybe you don't get past this final thing that's when i start to I start pushing it but i'm going to use this to, to talk about we mentioned you know using this as a way to transition to you know tabletop dms um so how much do you think the rules for the new edition of dungeon dragons really come into play in in uh, sword coast legends well as his licensor i'll tell you he's uh, obligated to say <laughs> oh, no i'm teasing dan tell him everyone thinks i make you put fifth edition in you love fifth edition yeah, I do. I really do love 5th edition. I started playing D- D&D back in 1979 with uh, the AD&D. Here comes out the grandfather bits, right? Oh. But, uh, you know what I mean? For me, it really feels like that experience. The 5th edition really feels like, uh, you know, I've gone back to those roots in middle school. And and, uh, and so I think that spirit of that, 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 that feeling is something that we've really tried to capture. Um, now, obviously, there's going to need to be some ab- adaptation, you know, to make things work in a video game um, versus on the tabletop. Um, you know, and I think in past they made attempts to verbatim transfer those rules verbatim. And I think there's they've been weaker because of it. So I think really balancing that line between um, maintaining the true D&D experience, the true fifth edition experience, um, but adapting what you need to to maintain that spirit is the real the real balance. That I think we've managed to achieve. And I can tell you guys that we've been working with um, Endspace for a while now, and they've gotten early copies of the DMG and the Player's Handbook, and Dan and his entire team have been playing the latest edition since before almost anyone, final product. You know, So I know that they play it and they get the spirit of it, but they also work really closely with uh, the R&D group and Mike Merrill's team to make sure that when they're talking about something like, hey, does this feel like the current edition? You know, that they have that meeting of the minds where it's like, hey, we can't do this because it's a video game, but I want to double check and make sure that we're, we all agree that this feels like what you meant for it to feel. So they're actually talking to the people who created it and getting that buy-off that, yeah, that, that embraces the feeling we were trying. Absolutely, absolutely. It's very important. We've worked very tightly with the with the uh, R and D group, and and I think really have created an experience that really is, like I said, true to true to the D and D experience. Speaking it's also that. one that's very only very nostalgic to the, a lot of those classic uh, RPGs, and I think um, you know that sort of blend of the two is really going to be something that's nostalgic yet fresh and new. If I can market it as both, nostalgic, fresh and new. We, we need to make a, a new phrase for that because it is it seems like it's at odds. So on the product description, you also mentioned... Frostalgia. Rostalgia, wow. Freshstalgia. Oh, okay. It's even better. On the, on the product... Like frozen oh. pizza. Yes. No. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> Frostalgia. <laughs> Eat one up today. It's Forgotten Realms pizza now. Frostalgia. So we're going we're gonna to make it happen. So on the product description, you mentioned six classes. Are you able to tell us what six classes you can play in the game now? Sure. I, I'll, I'll tell you that um, we're, we're starting, and I mean, I mean starting with... Um, you know, the fighter, rogue, wizard, cleric, paladin, and ranger. And and really, I mean, those were the classes. Um, I mean, we all play a lot of tabletop here, and, and those those sort of hit the classes for us. We realize there's a lot more classes as well, too, that we'd like to um, that we'd like to, to add. Um, but the reality is, I mean, we're a small, nimble team, and quality is going to be very important here. So we want to make sure we maintain quality, and one of the ways to make sure you maintain quality is, uh, is being disciplined with your scope. So... We we started with those six out of the out of the hopper, and we definitely plan to add um, add more as we go along. Nice, I'm looking forward to playing some stuff. Yeah. So without being too give, giving away too much, not too spoilery, can you tell us anything about the story that people will be playing through in the main campaign? It's gonna be awesome. All right. <laughs> App- Boom. Heard it here first. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think story. I mean, obviously, is is really dear to to everybody's uh, RPG heart, so to speak. Um, you know, we've 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 dedicated right right from the beginning resources to story, um, and we want to make sure that people have a, a memorable story and they meet memorable characters that really sort of leave meaningful memories 
from, from the front, I mean, I don't want to get too philosophical and deep, but when you, when you play a lot of really great RPGs, you're building great memories and those characters and the people you meet and the places you visit, they become almost like friends. Uh, um, you know, I look back at Minsk, you know, from playing Baldur's Gate series and, and even, you know, other RPGs like Dragon Age, when I talk about Alistair and, and things like that, th th those people are kind of, um, become my friends. And I, I think it's very, uh, we take story very, very serious. Uh, seriously, we want to really make sure that, that, that we create those memories for people. So we've been working right from the beginning, um, to make sure that we have a very compelling story that's tied very tightly to the Forgotten Realms canon, um, and fits very well, uh, in the entire, um, storyline, um, that, that you guys there at Wizards are telling. I think a funny side note here, Dan, is that, uh, for those of you in the know, uh, Minsk was actually uh, Cam's tabletop D&D player uh, at uh, Bioware, and I'm pretty sure you're friends with Cam, so aren't you kind of friends with, like, imaginary Minsk and real Minsk? Oh, weird. Yeah, that is, that is, that is true. That's, uh, my mind is just suddenly blown here all of a sudden. Yeah. Uh, our, our, tech director, <laughs> uh, our tech director, Ross, uh, the, lead, the lead programmer on the project, he, uh, his tabletop character was John Arenicus from uh, Baldur's Gate 2, so... Um, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of that legacy there. So yes, I guess I'm friends with several uh, in and outside the the real world. So yeah, that's right. This guy's got some uh, some stories to tell. So we'll, next podcast, we'll just get all the dirt. That's how yeah. we're gonna we're gonna do this. We're gonna get Dan on all the best stories. Um, man, I have so many cool things I want to ask. Okay, so we're talking about the campaign a little bit here. Let's let's keep keep in this vein. So you can play the campaign in single player and with multiple people, correct? Yeah, absolutely. The campaigns, the campaigns really uh, is about four party members uh, in your campaign. And those four party members can be made uh, up of, you know, great memorable characters you met within the game itself, i.e. single player or even two players. Um, but it can also be made up of people you've, you know, friends from the real world. Um, as we all say, you know, you, you play with your RL friends. So um, <laughs> in any com combination there. So that's really, again, it, it's about those memorable characters, whether they're, 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 they're friends that you've been playing tabletop with forever or new characters you've met within the game. Is there anything that changes when you go from like single player to multiplayer in the main campaign? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously um, we're not writing your, your, the dialogue for your, for your real friends. Um, so there's some <laughs> things that will change. Get on that, Dan. Come on. Uh, we're expecting them to play in character, though. Okay, so that that better happen. <laughs> it is but, a role um, playing game. Right, right. Yes, that's right. Um, so obviously, there's there's some there's some differences there, but really, um, uh, you know, I mean, there's that's a lot that's a lot to do with the replayability as well, too. You know, you might play with three other friends um, for a four player experience, and then decide, you know, what I'm going to play through again with some of the characters that I meet along the way in the in the adventure, and see how 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 different it feels that way. Yeah, and like for for me, when we're playing single player versus multiplayer, it gets a little bit more hectic in multiplayer because the pause play feature goes completely away. So everybody right. everybody has to be on their game. Yeah, you really need to rely on your companions then, your real world companions. Um, yeah, because the pause, the tactical pause and play does go away, and it is balanced um, for that. You know, so that you do need to to tactically use your party much like you would in a real D and D game. Uh, um, and so you, 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 when you're playing multiplayer, you'd have to play a role. If you're playing a cleric, uh, cleric you can't go running off and not be healing your party. Yeah. I think I'm going to play single player mode for a while and practice. Yeah, it's a good call. <laughs> I mean, it's a good, the, the pause and play really makes you comfortable with, with everything. I'm also going to go on a limb and say you're going to play a wizard. How did you yeah, know? Surprise, surprise. Oh, Shelly always plays a wizard. Well, I'm going to get one more question here before I have to let my co-hosts go and we have to end the podcast for the day. But I have the main art piece for Sword Code Legends up at my desk, and people walk by, and they love it. Um, can you – I'm not sure how much you can spoil. So can you tell us anything about the two figures that are in that, in that uh, main art piece? Dan, have you already uh, told everyone the name of uh, any of them? We've only we've only talked about Abelafoss. We can we can so stay the, there then. We we can we can keep the other guy mystery for now then. But what can you tell everybody yeah. about Belafoss? I cannot tell you anything. That would be a spoiler. <laughs> I can tell you Come one. On. I can tell you one thing, Trevor. <laughs> what? There's going to be a Belafoss statue in the in the high end oh. collectible, oh, and yeah. the pose is going to be voted on by the fans. Oh. oh. There you go. That's that's a little spoilery. That's good. I can also tell you that we can uh, edit. <laughs> I think that it's awesome it's that he's got the fire axe as opposed to a whip and a sword. He's a little different from from your typical. He's got a backstory, right, Dan? He's got some stuff. I mean, he didn't play in your original D and D game. He's not that old, but he's, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. he's not a grandpa. 
he's not a grandpa. Hey, no. uh, spoiler alert. That's part oh, of the backstory oh. for the Battle Boss. <laughs> he's actually a great grandpa. Ooh. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, um, Belafoss, Belafoss, and the other character there. We're gonna reveal more as we get more into story, but I can, I can tell you one thing. Um, it's a pretty damn badass story, so we're we're pretty excited about it. And some beautiful art too. Yes, wonderful, wonderful design there. Well, Dan, thank you for joining us today. We will definitely have you on again soon, and I'm sure everybody will see more of you and the other guys at InSpace also soon. Uh, so we're all super excited to find out more about Sarkos Legends. Congrats again on getting that out, man. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much, and thanks for having me on. Oh, no problem, man. As always, thanks for listening to the Dungeons & Dragons podcast. R.A. Salvatore's Vengeance of the Iron Dwarf hits shelves March 3rd. And look for Sword Coast Legends later this year, available for pre-order now on PC. Of course, you can download the podcast from the D&D website or subscribe directly from iTunes.